1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss.
0: No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to
1: be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello, welcome to this special first episode of Series 6 of The Worst Girl Gang Ever.
0: Woo! This is so exciting, because it's a bit different. <laughs> oh my God, did you hear that? There's a man in our studio. Guys, there's a man, there's in, the a man in the studio. There's a man in studio. Disgusting, get him out. We're so excited to be joined by our fairy godbrother. That's what we ended up with calling you, isn't it? The wonderful it James Burt, who is taking over the production of our podcast. So... Although we will obviously always remain a bit rough around the edges because that's who we are. It's authentic, baby. It's authentic. Um, James has come to smarten us up and we, he's asked to, well, we kind of collaborated on the idea to uh, for him to come and join us in the first episode. So he can kind of interview us a bit, which is a bit daunting, actually.
2: I'm very excited. Thank you for having me on first and foremost. I, I met Laura and Bex at an event and they said, hey, can you work some miracles? I said, I can't polish a turd, but we'll give it a good go. Hey, and, you can uh, roll it in glitter
0: <laughs> and that's, that's all that we need to do.
2: But no, what you guys have built, um, you know, as a community, I think is special. And I told you this at the time when we met at, at the event, and then sort of having subsequent conversations about um, what I've now fondly referred to as Twiggy, which I'm not sure is going to stick, but it is what
1: it is. Yeah, I wonder. Um, so yeah, I wanted to I wonder how many other people have referred to it as that. People listening might might already call. I'm making
0: it. loads. Uh, cuz TWGG is just doesn't
2: roll off the tongue does it it's a bit of a mouthful isn't it it is a bit of a mouthful so if if you have if you have listened by the way and uh, if you're listening to this show then uh, you know tag the girls in on insta story and just just with the word twiggy for another no reason and we'd like to know <laughs> who else calls it that and if you don't then that's fine maybe you could take this on board but um, yeah, in this podcast i want to um, dive in a little bit more about how you guys got started because obviously there'll be people who've listened to the previous five or six seasons of of the podcast there'll be people that have been listening right back from the beginning uh, and equally there'll be people who for a variety of reasons um, will be discovering you guys newly right now um, which I think so I'd like to just dive into a bit of the backstory of how you get got started with creating the worst girl gang ever what the origins of it was from a personal perspective and then what you've created thus far and what's happening next because I know it's very exciting times at Twiggy HQ. So who wants to go first? Let's go. I'm going to I'm going to throw Bex under the bus first. Bex, give us your your version of the the tw- the Twiggy origin story.
0: The Twiggy origins. Well, we're quite well versed in doing it this way around, so you haven't actually thrown anyone under the bus, but there's time for that, don't worry. Um so back in May 2020 I found out I was pregnant, and it was my fourth child, and I felt like such a sort of pro, and it was right in the middle of lockdown. I actually found out I was pregnant the day after lockdown was announced, Um, and it was like a panic situation, right, you know, because we didn't know, thought the world was ending. And then we got to the 12-week scan, and I went along, and uh, sort of, I remember it was really hot, and I just ran in, and I didn't, we were late, obviously I'm late for everything. We were late, and my husband was in the car park waiting with our like toddler. And I just ran in, I didn't have anything. I just had, you know, my, my purse and that was it. And I ran into the hospital and I lay down, I just said, "Oh, is it your first baby? And I said, no, it's number four. And ha ha ha, you're a pro and all this stuff. And I, I, I lay down and they started scanning and the room just took on this atmosphere of like this really, and because I'd been there three times before, I knew what it, I should be looking at. And I knew it wasn't that. And the sonographer. Someone else happened to come in the room at the same time and she said, can you just have a look at this? And the lady, oh, God, I'm choking up already and we've only just started. <laughs> and the other lady came in and looked and sort of nodded and she just turned to me and she said, I'm so sorry, there's no heartbeat. And, like, at that point, my world just just changed, you know. It really, it hit. it, it was so, it was such a moment that I'll never forget and... I was suddenly aware of this really weird, like, animalistic noise, and I realised it was me. I was making this noise that just didn't... It was just so... It was such a bizarre situation. And I've shared that so many times, because other women do that. Other women make this, this real noise, this pain. And I remember so vividly just getting up and, you know, putting my top down and wiping the jelly off my tummy and just and being, like, just amazed that I just... what they told me to do. They said, can you follow me? Can you wait in this room? And my body was still doing all those things. I was still going through all those motions and just sitting down and waiting for the news and phoning my husband and trying to explain to him what had happened. And it was so deeply painful and deeply dramatic. And afterwards, I just felt broken. I felt completely broken. And I had these children at home and people started saying, oh, at least you've already got kids. At least you've already got chill, you know, you, you love your children and, and focus on them and stuff. And of course, I, I knew all that. And that made me feel guilty about feeling such grief for this loss. And I just thought, I started to really question whether my grief was proportionate to my loss. And then I just thought, actually, I'm, I'm not special. There's nothing unusual about me. I just... There must be other people that feel this way. There must be. And if this is the pain of, of miscarriage, why are we not talking about it? Why is this not a really... Why can I not go onto the internet and find someone to help me? And I was going through, you know, typing into Google what to do after a miscarriage. And I found loads of resources and information. But I couldn't find anything that would just go, you'll be all right. These are people that can help you. I've been through that. So I thought, I'm going to write about this. And I, I wrote a... Um, a post and i shared it on a a public facebook page and um it was a a a lockdown based family lockdown tips and ideas or something and i shared it and i just said if you're in this situation i know how painful it is reach out to me and in my phone completely like i've never it was i was just looking at it and it was just doing these crazy stuff And I had over 20,000 responses in the first 24 hours. I had, I included my, it actually got taken down because I'd included my personal email address, but then they put it back up. um, They put it back up once i would taken my email address off. But because I included my email address, I got two and a half thousand emails overnight and i was like god this is massive this is massive there are so many women and all of the messages were going i feel the same way it's i'm broken i've and there were women in their 50s and 60s saying i experienced this thank you so much for starting a conversation i experienced this 20 years ago and i still remember the pain that you're talking about and so i thought i'm going to start a facebook group because people need to talk about this so i did and again like i shared that in this same group that i shared before And again, like 5,000 new uh, members of this group within a couple of weeks. And it was just, it showed how lacking we are in in support for this specific loss, this specific grief. It's so misunderstood and it's so swept under the carpet and it's so marginalised by society as not really counting. And just by opening those doors to that support for women and literally just saying, look, this is me, this is my experience, what's yours? And people would write, you know, all this stuff from years and years and years ago, all these years of pent-up pain that they'd never talked about before. And that's where um, I met Laura.
2: Good segue to your part of the story now, then, Laura. (laughs) That's
1: it. It's almost as if we've done this before. Um, Yeah, I was one of the the people who slid into her DMs and... um, My sister-in-law tagged me in it. At the time, I was just about to... It was just. I think, Bex, when I met you, I hadn't got the publisher for my book, had I? But I was self-publishing it. No. So I was... Basically, I'd been living in the baby-loss world for a long time and I'd always tried to start these conversations because I knew how valuable it was for you to have that sort of interaction with people who got it, people who'd been through it, because... You can get all of this well-meant love from people around you. Um, you know, people that you're close to in your real life, but they don't really get it. So it's it's invaluable having that interaction with people who do get it. So I basically used to sort of watch what was going on. I'd message a few people, interact. I tried to set up a um, a group on Instagram to get people to meet up in real life. But it was really tricky. It was you know just coming around to I think well it was lockdown wasn't it so that's probably why that threw a spanner in the works so I started writing a blog and um which was being turned into a book so I messaged Bex at the time I was like look I'm really trying to open up these conversations I get it I understand what you're saying and something does need to be done I don't really know what but I feel like we could um we could go into battle together I think was how I phrased it and um I mentioned mm. that you, it, you seemed like you had a hefty pair of lady balls. So um, that was the beginning of our, <laughs> of our friendship. True. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's um, true. Yeah, I do. You heard it here first. But um, at the time, I had my son had just turned one, and he was my eighth pregnancy. And that was in 2020. And I, we'd started trying for a baby in 2012. So I'd lost seven pregnancies um, prior to him. And what was quite strange was. Uh, I felt like a little bit like I had imposter syndrome. So before I had my son, before I had a successful pregnancy, I felt like I, I didn't feel like I had the courage or the the energy to really battle and, you know, shout from the rooftops um, because I was going through the meal myself. But after I had him, I felt even more strongly about the importance of women getting this support. And... Um, yeah, that's that's when we hooked up. And at the time, we didn't really know what we were doing. We, had, we didn't have a clue what we were what, what we were planning, but we just knew that we wanted to do something.
2: The, the sort of the emotions that you guys are talking about here are, are obviously from a long while ago, but they're still very, very raw um, and very, very real. Does it? Ever get easier, or does it just get different to have these conversations? Because you mentioned that you sort of had a moment, Bex, where you were like, "Is my grief proportionate to my actual loss?" Here, do you still carry that? And luckily, you came to the realization of you know it can be as big uh, as I as I need or want it to be. But do you still have have that in the back of your head that you you still carry around this loss? And now, obviously, the thing that you do by trying to wave the flag for so many other people, you. Are talking about it every single day, like you can't escape from it for for a day, because you're the custodians of this amazing movement. Does it does it get easier or or just different?
0: It does. It it gets different. It changes. And I think for me personally, I have to remember that emotion because, and and I want to because I want to honor my baby because my baby existed. And a huge part of the misconceptions around loss during pregnancy is that your baby didn't really exist and didn't you know you you feel you end up feeling really invalid and people tend to forget dates you know no one forgets a child's birthday but no one remembers the day that, that you that your baby was born and, and didn't survive and i just think if i lose connection with my baby and with my experience then i'm doing all the women here and injustice all the women that we have in the girl gang are a really huge injustice because this is what we do is is you can hold so many emotions at the same time and we're holding that grief because grief is just love in a in a different format, if you like. So while we hold that grief, it's, it's honouring the love that we have for our baby. But that doesn't mean that we can't then go on and move forward in that and change. The, the, our grief changes shape and context and we can laugh again and we can all be together with this with this grief but simultaneously feeling joy again but no it doesn't it doesn't go away it changes intensity but sometimes we we describe it like like just now when I took when I, I can take myself back there like that I can take myself back to experience I can remember the smells I can remember the, the the light you know I can remember everything about it and when I'm there I feel just as triggered just as upset but that happens less often it's only when I really really talk about it now like we have just done that I that I do that but but equally my baby lives through all the work that we're doing and that brings me peace with the whole situation
2: was there also because you already like i said you already had three children and people sort of for the, for i guess for the right reason said the wrong thing but you know we've you, you know love love even harder on your existing children or you know did was there was that ever like a piece of guilt as well because you were feeling this thing but you already had these three children with your, does it not really work like that? Because there's, so, like, there's so many misconceptions about how to actually think about this stuff and there is no right or wrong and people don't know how to handle it. But yeah, what was your lived experience of that? You've, you've got to, cause you've got to continue to mother your actual family as well as now deal with your own grief, which is obviously completely different from Laura's situation when, you know, going through the seven lost pregnancies before a baby is beautifully brought into the world. That must be a very different experience from from both sides I imagine
0: it is it's really different and I think there is no hierarchy in grief so my grief was obviously incredibly different from Laura's and within our community within the baby loss community you know everyone needs to remember that every loss is different so every woman has a different story and it can't be compared to that of others and we can all we've all heard really invalidating things whether it's oh at least it was early you know anything starting with at least is a real is a really painful thing to hear because it's trying to force you to look on the bright side of a situation where there is no bright side you have lost your baby your baby that you that you dreamt of that you you know, planned and that you had these dreams and aspirations for. You might have thought of names and dates and weights and all that stuff. You've dreamed this. And it's not just something that you've dreamed up in the la- since you saw that pregnancy test. This is something that we've been brought up as women. So many of us have been brought up with this nar- narrative of motherhood that we start pushing dollies around when we're two, three years old. You know, that this is a narrative that we've had. No, No childhood narrative for us women ends with, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. You know, it's just not in our story. It's not what we think is going to happen. So when we lose a baby, no matter the gestation, no matter how many children we have at home, no matter the circumstances, we're not just losing a baby. We're losing the confidence in a world that we absolutely thought we had nailed down. You know, we're losing our social standing because we don't really know who to hang out with anymore. And the the, the most painful thing is we often lose friends because they don't know how to handle our pain. And they come with their emotional toolbox they don't have the right tools in it. So they stick over a crappy old plaster that starts with the word at least. And, you know, someone's saying to me, at least you've already got kids. It wasn't helpful because that's not something I don't know. I know I've got my babies. And I, 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 I of course, I held them tighter and I love them more fiercely. And I bloody, you know, anyone with kids knows that, that feeling. But it didn't mean that I didn't really want this baby that I didn't have. And I think it's just... It's such a, a deeply painful experience to be invalidated in your suffering because it shuts you down and it makes you not want to talk to anyone about it at all. Right. I'm known for my passionate rants. There what, what, you go. That's one. <laughs> no,
2: no, it was, and it was very passionate and, 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 and rightly so. Uh, and Laura, in, in your instance, what was it that I guess again i 'm going to be really apologetic if I ask the wrong question in the, in the right i 'm coming out as a dumbass guy who doesn't have an understanding of this stuff, so you have to uh, accept cool. the apology in advance um, I'm definitely not going to say at least in any way shape or form, but what <laughs> kept you you Laura, going to continue to try f- for these babies when you had had so many you know heartbreaking disappointments you know to to have seven experiences. Like what? What kept you going? Or, or
1: how, yeah. how did you
2: even sort of continue with with down that path of you know the desire, that deep held desire to become a mother?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't really know. <laughs> At the time, I was just um, I felt like the only way I would recover from the last loss would be to get pregnant again, and I therefore, you know, like Bex was saying about honouring the baby and grieving and, um, and remembering, I, for me, I just sort of, I've put all of that in one box and it's, it's still grief, but it's just one box with all of those experiences put in. Cause it's just too much to, to deal with, you know, each, each individual one. But my, um, my first loss, I fell pregnant the following cycle straight after. I was so intent on just trying again getting pregnant again and and I did and everyone said well you're very fertile after a miscarriage you know so we were like great lots of sex legs in the air well hey I'm pregnant again but I lost that one and um and twice three times I since my son I've had another five losses and so three times in total I've had back-to-back losses um just in that desperation to thinking that the only way I can get over this is to get pregnant again. I now know that that's not the case. There's a lot of other things that you can do that can help you heal um, from these experiences. But at the time, I just couldn't couldn't see any of that. So I'd say the main way I coped, the, the reason I kept going was just pure desperation to be a mum. And um, the more losses I had, the less I grieved those individual losses and the more I grieved for the loss of motherhood um but it's recurrent loss is a very dark and isolating place to be you have the experiences of of the loss but then you also have the is this ever going to happen you know people say to you after you've had one you at least you can get pregnant and i then i believe that i was like yeah you know that's we've been trying for a year we couldn't we didn't get pregnant in, in, in the year, but now we know that we can, that's great. Um, and just the more and more times it happens, the less hope you have for ever getting what you want. And the, the, the less a positive pregnancy test makes you feel excited. Like you it's, it's dread. Um, the more times it happens, the more, more dread that comes with it. But, um, the worst part is the for me is the is the isolation um from it all because it's one in one hundred women go through recurrent miscarriage. And I remember times in my life where I would be sat at a wedding, like in watching this wedding ceremony and thinking They're going to be pregnant in a few months' time. We've been trying for five years so far and had this many losses and they're just going to get pregnant on their honeymoon. And I became this real sort of paranoid person that withdrew from everyone who I suspected might be trying. Honestly, I went really crazy for a while. Like, pretty darn loopy. All I did is sort of got up, went to work, came home again, just sort of existed in life, um, living sort of every two weeks... So, two, you know, you, you've got your two weeks of trying and then your two weeks of waiting. And that just cycle, just month after month, fortnight after fortnight, just, yeah, it was pretty dull. I didn't go... I'd always say yes to going to things, but then I would never go. Um, I was always sort of like the life and soul of the party and I always used to organise everything. But, the, the, you know, the deeper I got into this recurrent loss journey... We hate that word, by the way, but... It describes it quite well. The deeper I, deeper I was into that, the um, the less I was involved in, in anything other than just sort of existing. It was really sad. And that's why we wanted to help other people in this situation to stop them feeling so isolated. Because like I said at the beginning, you can be surrounded by people who love you, but unless they've been through it, it's, it still can be a really... Lonely
2: place to be. I didn't realise it was one in one hundred people. That's or one in one hundred women. That's a staggeringly uh, common number for something that has still got such a, a veil of misconception and almost uh, maybe taboo's the wrong word, but it feels like it still is kind of that yeah, taboo thing. I think and you're is that, right. Do you think that's because people don't, on the other side of it, don't know how best to uh, support other people? And, and in, that, in that instance. You know, as a potential friend to people who are going through this, if they, if they want to share it, it, that with me, that grief with me, like what in my emotional toolbox sh- can and should I be doing? Is it literally being a shoulder to cry on w- with a cup of tea and being there if they need you to be there? Like how, how do people, why is it, to, sorry, two questions, terrible interviewing technique, but I'm just intrigued <laughs> by this now. Why is it still taboo? And as people who are on the other side of the coin with this, how can we? What do we need in our emotional toolbox to actually support people?
0: Laura, do you want to go for the why is it so taboo? Still taboo?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, it's still ta- so taboo because um, it's, it's society. Really, it's the way that we've we've been brought up. I, do you know? I just when you were asking that question, it made me think. A couple of months ago, I was... Um, one of my other jobs is... Um, I'm a foot health practitioner, so I cut old people's toenails, right? And old people, we know, old people have no filter, right, do they? And I was I was cutting this old bird's toenails and she said... Um, we got chatting about pregnancy and babies and stuff and I told her what happened to me and she said, oh, my goodness, that's a lot. That's a lot of babies to lose. How far gone were you? And I told her... And she said, oh, oh, that's OK. They weren't real babies. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can forgive old people. You know, this lady's like 88. I thought, whatever, yeah, fine.
2: Double down on the pumice stone. You <laughs> right there, Dorothy? Yeah. You all crank.
1: Yeah. I was just like, oh, OK, fine. But then I thought, that's like, that's actually what these people believe, don't they? they, mm. they they've grown up... Uh, I don't know whether... So my mum, I remember talking to my mum when I first started going through miscarriages and she told me that she found out that she was pregnant with me after seven weeks. So she had to wait for a missed period. Then you'd go to the doctor and they would give you a pot. You would take it home, we in it, bring it back the, the following appointment and then it'd be sent off and you'd wait for the results. Then you'd have to have an appointment to get given the, the results. And um, I mean, we find out... Some of my pregnancies I found out before four weeks, before the missed period. as when you're wanting something so much, you test so early because you're so sort of eager to to know. And I wonder if this older generation are just so used to not knowing about these early losses that they don't count them. Um, but of course we know, like Beck said, when it's something that we dream of and we've wanted and we've tried for and we've hoped for... Even before getting that positive pregnancy test we we start you know dreaming up this life um and i bet cause I've told you before that i used to the day I get my period, i then work out the if i fall pre- if i were to fall pregnant that month, what the due date would be like it's crazy, but when you're so desperate for something you do um you know you you do sort of throw everything at it and yeah, it's tough. but um your question was why why is it still such a taboo i think it's a societal thing i think it is changing um thankfully lots of celebrities and people are speaking out about it which is really good um i think that's going to help change the narrative but um also in schools we're taught that you get you know it's talk about your cycle when you can fall pregnant what happens when you when you fall pregnant And that's about it, really. I think you have like half a lesson on what IVF is. And, um, well, that's certainly what it was like when we were at school. No one ever really teaches you what could go wrong or how you could really struggle to fall pregnant in the first place. But we are told from teachers working in the business that that that's changing too. So they're all good things happening.
2: And the emotional toolbox, Bex, coming to you with that one then?
1: Um, So
0: first of all, it's one in 100 women experience... Uh, recurrent pregnancy loss, but the figure for miscarriage is one in four. So one in four pregnancies end in loss. No quarter of all pregnancies end in loss.
1: Oh yeah, sorry, Did I, I didn't make that clear.
0: So this isn't, you know, this isn't, this isn't someone that you might know. You might, you know, it's not it, what we're talking about. Isn't someone that you may or may not be among your friends or your family? This is, these are people that you know. These are people that you work with, and if they're not the women that you work with then they're the men that you work with partners. And this is, it's something that affects so many people, so many more people than we think. And that's why part of what we're doing is going into the workplaces. That's part of what we're hoping to do in the future is going into the workplaces and supporting, not just the women, but the men as well, because so many men don't know how to support their partner um, or part, I should say partners, you know, so many partners don't know how to support the, the, the pregnant partner and feel so helpless. So with the emotional toolbox what we aim to do is is teach, right? So we can't we can't, from an emotional perspective, Laura's gonna start smiling because this is my favourite thing to say <laughs> From an emotional perspective, we can't understand loss unless we've been through it. We just can't. But from an educational point of view, we absolutely can teach how to support, what to say, what's helpful, what's less helpful. And if we have that in our power, if that's in our gift, then we absolutely should be doing this in schools, in places of work, in within our friendship circles. We need to make sure that these women and men are held. And because I, we know from experience that it's the shittest, most fuck. can I swear? It's, the, oh, it's our podcast, yeah. It's our podcast, it's podcast mate. Yeah yeah, sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can um, do what you like. I'm just a guest, an <laughs> <invite> a guest.
0: <laughs> it is. I mean, it's the most fucking brutal, painful thing to go through. Like, for example, this is very graphic now, but my husband was. I was so terrified of losing my baby on the toilet that my husband was going through with a slotted spoon and a, and a dish bowl, you know, a, a washing up bowl, trying to salvage things to take to the hospital and then we had a a bowl with cling film that we were taking you know and like the traumatic effect on on him imagine being that in that situation like as women we get such little support about what's going to happen to our bodies i was so embarrassed that i didn't know she said i remember the midwife saying to me if you feel the need to push push and i was like oh my god what do you mean push like how big is this baby you know terrified because i didn't know and i felt so ignorant and Rob, my husband, did all this, and he was he was so much more aware of what was going on because he could see everything. He could see that I was covered in blood. He was scared that I would die, and he just got ushered out, you know, and, and he wasn't even allowed into the hospital. As soon as we got to the hospital, when I really started miscarrying, he had to wait outside because of COVID and stuff. And I just think there's so much trauma that goes on. What is it, Lloyd? one in 30 women who... it's like 30% of women who experience miscarriage go on to suffer from PTSD. It's such a traumatic experience to go through. It's absolutely brutal. And then on top of that trauma, some well-meaning but but unhelpful person says, oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. And, you know, you've just been to hell and back. It's just not helpful. So in this emotional toolbox, going back to your question, we teach people how to navigate the, 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 the support that you can offer. So instead like the biggest, the biggest tool in your emotional toolbox is a big old fuck off pair of ears, right? So you just go and you don't, you don't say anything. You just say, I am so sorry that this has happened to you. I am so sorry. This is your experience. Cause like even listening to it now, I'm so sorry. I'm here. I love you. Is so much better than, Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant at least it was early you know you can hear that can't you when you put the two next to each other you can hear what a difference in support and love and kindness that that is because this is grief and you don't we don't this is the it seems to us that this is one of the only forms of grief that we that people seem to want to brush under the carpet and minimize someone's dad dies or someone's mum dies or someone you know has a terrible car accident and and you know, is in hospital having operations and stuff, you don't go, oh, at least this or at least that or at least, you know, anything. You just don't do that. So... We need to stop minimizing grief and instead we need to give a platform to women and men who are going through this experience to share what they're going through. Because we have learned through doing this for like two and a half years, we have learned how incredibly empowering and helpful it is for the moving forward, for for people to move forward when they have that space and that platform to grieve properly
2: talking about, you know, the fact that you guys have been doing it for two and a half years and you've helped, you know, probably tens of thousands of people. The community is massive now. So obviously you guys were going through your own lived experience. You put the post onto Facebook. It kind of blew up. You're like, well, this needs to be its own little group or a community or something and then that blows up. Like, take us quickly through the, like where you're at now because i know you've got you know there's been books there's this huge podcast there's a massive community online i mean like thousands and thousands and thousands of people and vicariously tens of thousands of people have been supported through this this process with what you guys have sort of accidentally stumbled on creating to kind of almost scratch your own itch to start with and support yourselves and each other first and foremost
1: yeah well it started with the podcast and um at the time, we didn't really know even what a podcast was. Um, we thought that it would only be our mums and mates that listened to it. And um, Bex, do you remember getting getting that notification from that, the platform saying, you've had 100 downloads? And we were like, yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, and now we're five series in over. or well, this is series six. There's over 110 episodes or something like that. Um, and it's won awards, which is we just we're so proud of not because we've created a podcast that's won awards but because we've created a podcast about miscarriage and baby loss and that has won awards you know it's all about smashing the taboo and if we can get a baby loss podcast to win an award then um we know we're headed in the right direction but yeah we've got our uh, our facebook communities our facebook support groups and the instagram page and then we realized that there was we needed to offer people more all of the all of the things that we were doing were helping but people needed more intense more personal support so that's when we started running the online courses
0: oh yeah so we we started running an online course for pathway to recovery we called it and it was basically just about empowering women to find tools to fill their emotional toolbox to help themselves so we Uh, We have like a gratitude practitioner and exercise and all these things that that can be really, really beneficial to people going through any kind of grief. And it was immensely popular. So then we wrote one or facilitated one with loads of different experts for trying to conceive after loss. Because, again, it's something that is not thought about. It's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly challenging. Even just things like having sex after loss presents so many challenges and and painful kind of that people don't know how to talk about that stuff so what we've done is essentially provided a place for them to talk about it and that was immensely popular and then we developed a pregnancy after loss uh sort of hub membership course as well and that again pregnancy after loss everyone assumes it's a relief it's not i've done it it was fucking horrendous and incredibly exciting in so many ways but not this kind of big relief that you're expecting, because every time you go to the toilet, you, you, you're you scared and you don't believe that you're so fearful of what could lie ahead because you've been you've been there. And then we were contacted by someone um, who wanted us to write a book. And it was something that we'd already thought about. We've already actually done a sort of whole synopsis and we was kind of halfway there, but we had so much else on. And obviously, Laura's a nurse and I'm a photographer and um I was lucky enough to be pregnant after loss as well at the time and it's been really challenging in so many ways. Um but we wrote the book and that was published in August 2022. Um and then yeah, I guess this brings us up to the here and now and what we what we really want to kind of share with you is the excitement of of what's happening right here right now.
1: In the words like of Like when you say right here right now, it's like today when this episode airs. Today. It's happening Literally. today.
0: Yeah. It's right wow. here, right now.
1: What is this? It's it's called the Warriorship. Oh, I
0: like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. It's good. And it's basically that the issue that we had is is because of the nature of the courses and the people that we had to get content from and the hours that we had to put in, we had to charge a certain price for women to come on one of our courses. We just had to. And but we've always felt not great about it because we want this to be as accessible. This is when i'm going to start crying again (laughs) but we wanted it to be as accessible for as many women as possible so we've taken all of the content from all of our courses and we've put it in one affordable monthly membership and to say that we are excited about the potential for this membership is like the biggest understatement because not only do we have all the content from all the courses But we have so much more. We've got creative events where people can come and try different creative therapies like gardening, breathing, um, uh, pop making. We've got drag bingo. I know that's not necessarily creative, but it's my thing I'm most looking forward to. Um, (laughs) And we've got specialists. You know, we've got this platform is fucking insanely incredible and it would be incredible for anyone for anyone that wants to explore life properly or to a to a fo- or, or, or wants to find their fullest potential this platform would be great but the thing that is best about it is that it's a safe space for women who have experienced loss because you are just with other women who, women who have experienced loss
1: yeah it's based on um, yeah. like self-development and and promoting well-being um and like beck said it would be brilliant for anyone but it's just going to be so special for these women who need that sense of community and connection with people who have some sort of idea of what they've been going through and it's not all not all of the content is based around fertility or loss but it's there if you need it and then and then there's all of the other fun stuff to go alongside it
2: it sounds amazing i remember when when i first bumped into you two lovely pair at uh, at an event and you were talking to me about what you'd done and i'm sure i'd heard of um, twiggy, I'm going to go, I'm going to use it again. And I, and, and then you're sharing with me like the, the numbers that the podcast was getting and the numbers of people that are in the groups and the communities. And just every time you talked about it, you were so damn passionate about this thing. And you could tell it was from, you know, such a, a great authentic space. And I remember, I hate the word authentic. I don't know why I fucking said it, but I've said it now. and I could edit it out, but I'm just going to go right. with it. Yeah. But can't take it back, no. But, and, and then it also one of the biggest things that I remember from that conversation, the first time I ever met you two was just, you could sense that, that, you know, you got to charge money to keep the lights turned on. You can only, you can't give what you haven't got. It's just that simple for mm. you to get more impact, to get more reach. You need you know to help more people because you've been in that crisis moment when you've had that, you know, after the hospital, after the appointments and the partner goes back to work for the first day or whatever, you've had that moment when you're there by yourself in the house on your own, on Google going, what the fuck do I do now? Mm. And like I say, searching information, which is like medically, you're going to go through this, that and the other, and your body is doing this, that and the other, but that's mm. not what you needed. You needed that community. You needed that hug of other people. You need to have the conversation with people who've been through this themselves. You needed to be in a, in a space where you could ask a question and know full well that someone's first response is going to be, well, at least, it's not going to be at least dot, 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 fill in the blank. You needed that community mm. uh, and, and that environment. And I, I remember... After our conversation, I read about the book, and uh, with the best quote. I've, and I wrote it down because it was that good. I've actually written it down. And, and they said that what you'd done with the book, and I thought, but what you've done as a as a as a, a community and as a hub. And they said it was a, a parachute to help people land safely after child loss. Mm. And I was like, oh, fuck it. if that isn't something that needs to get more attention and eyeballs and earbuds and hearts and souls to know that it exists to help more people than I don't know what is, quite frankly. So I remember when you sort of having the conversation about turning it into a a subscription community so you could just help many, many more people. um, I'm so glad that you've gone down this route because I really think that the work that you do is spectacularly important. I am touch wood. um, I'm not somebody who has experienced um, child loss that I'm aware of um but again based on the the facts and figures you've told me in this podcast maybe maybe it has happened um and but I have, have been a a parent of a small child who when he was first born was in the scaboo unit for the first 7 days and that was the most terrifying fucking experience of my life I'd mm. never known anything like it I'd never known an emotional roller coaster like it I would sit in the hospital from six in the morning till they kick me out at 11 o'clock at night and then the preceding 11 till six when I go back the next morning I would just cry I would just cry and just just hope for the best and have broken sleep and you know wake up to text messages just hoping to get some more news so to to have had that that experience from a parenting standpoint. Which is not even one percent of what you know. People who have been through what you guys have been through uh, have have um, suffered from or have been affected by. I just I'm a, maybe a very inarticulate man trying to speak a language that frankly doesn't fucking qualify to talk about. But what you guys have built is special, and I think the reason that you do it is fantastic. And I just want you to get the the reach that this thing deserves because I know how deeply you love what you've built and how much of an impact that it's had. So. I just think you two are fucking great. And anyone Aww. who's listening to this podcast, please click the link that's in the show notes and go and check out what, what Bex and Laura have created and what this community has now morphed into and become because it's so, so powerful uh, and making such an impact. And it's just the fact that when people go on that darkest day that they will ever experience and they go online and they Google what support is there, that they're going to find you guys. And I think that's, that's mega- powerful i'm gonna stop there before i'm a, I'm a crier i am a cry so i'll just stop it there
0: i love a cry i love a cry we're cries me and you are both cries james laura oh, not so much Stoneheart, Stoneheart stone in the corner over there
2: yeah St- <laughs>
0: Um, so what would you
2: like to do as, as sort of wrapping up this episode obviously there's a, a massive shift coming within the community a massive shift coming within the, the Twiggy gang and, what, and all the exciting stuff that you guys are creating there's more many more um, exciting podcasts that come up with some amazing guests who've got so, so much heartfelt uh, experience to share with this community but yeah what would be your sort of your request of those people who are listening on this very launch day if you're listening on the day that this podcast goes out where should people go what can they do how can they support you and your, your mission to create a great change
1: well, first of all, wow. if you like this episode, you should click, um, subscribe, and rate or something. James, what's the podcast? Oh, on? she's a pro. That, that was so
0: polished. Oh, I think you might need. There might be a well, subscribe.
2: I've never heard a call to action driven so hard in my life. It's authentic, but though. You
0: right? Authentic. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's now follow. Click, click the follow button. Go to the top right-hand side of your podcast app and there'll be a little plus sign and it says follow. Click the follow button. Become a follower of this here little podcast. As Laura said, click the subscribe or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or visit our yeah, website. Do that. Come and have a look at what our membership mm-hmm. is all about because I tell you what, if you have lost a baby, we're not just here for you to help you with all of the shit that you're going to go through. We're here to help you understand how it feels when you see a pregnant woman in Tesco's and you want to fucking lie on the floor and cry. And we are here for you when you see, when you get back... Sorry. (laughs) When you get back from the hospital and you've just had that worst fucking news and you see your pregnancy vitamins and you want to chop them across the floor and you don't understand why you're so angry and you... You don't want to feel like this. You don't want to be jealous. You don't, because it just, it all jumps in on top of your grief and makes you feel like such a fucking shit person. And we just want you to know that you are not, you are not that person. You are a devastated mother who is doing the best they can with what they have. And we are a hundred fucking percent behind you all the way for all of it. Just look us up, come and join us. We are here with broken hearts and open arms. We've got you and you've got this.
2: Well, I think that's a a good place to end because again, you're going to set me off again. I I cannot do this again with you two. By the way, this is going to be a, definitely a one-time only thing. Yeah, what happens but if people link demand in the show you to notes. come back
1: though? We might get people. I don't think you. it's going to happen. I
2: think that's a. I think there's a, there's a very very real chance that that request does not ever come to to light. So I think we're I think we're good. Um, but again, as from I guess your fairy godbrother, I've inadvertently become, and it's a position that I'm I'm grateful to to have, frankly. And again, I just hope that people. Support the movement, support what you're doing. Go and check out the link that's in the show notes now. Um, This is not a hard sell to try and flog you something that you don't need, but hopefully this is just a a nudge and reminder that if you need that level of support, if you need just just to be around other people who know what it is that you are experiencing and going through and it's going to help you to have, you know, the best possible outcome from an awful situation, then this is the place to go and get some support. So click the link in the show notes now. Make sure, as Laura beautifully said, <laughs> click the follow button and follow this podcast or subscribe. And so you make sure you get every single episode when this comes out every Monday. The podcast is now going to be going live. Uh, As Lauren Beck said at the beginning, it's all a bit rough around the edges sometimes, but me and my team are going to polish it right up. Every Monday by hook or by crook there's going to be a podcast episode and if them two don't do it I'm going to forcibly I'm going to go to their house <laughs> with microphones god damn it and make them have these conversations so every week there's going to be that support here on the podcast and for more support click the link in the show notes now and find out more about the amazing work that the Twiggy gang are getting up to um, any final words from you two or should we just should we just go before Laura starts looking at us both like why we're both crying Bex gets on <laughs> her emotional soapbox and I try and hold back tears because I'm a geezer and that's what we do
0: no I think that's it I've no, thank you James I dropped my a while ago. Yeah, thanks James, very good brother, you're amazing.